0: Chapter 1 of Pyrrhus by Jacob Abbott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Olympius and Antipater, B.C. 336 to 321. Pyrrhus king of Epirus entered at the very beginning of his life upon the extraordinary series of romantic adventures which so strikingly marked his career. He became an exile and a fugitive from his father's house when he was only two years old, having been suddenly borne away at that period by the attendants of the household to avoid a most imminent personal danger that threatened him the circumstances which gave occasion for this extraordinary eruption were as follows the country of epirus as will be seen by the accompanying map was situated on the eastern shore of the adriatic sea and on the southwestern confines of macedonia the kingdom of epirus was thus very near to and in some respects dependent upon the kingdom of macedon in fact the public affairs of the two countries through the personal relations and connections which subsisted from time to time between the royal families that reigned over them respectively were often intimately intermingled so that there could scarcely be any important war or even any great civil dissension in macedon which did not sooner or later draw the king or the people of epirus to take part in the dispute either on one side or on the other and as it sometimes happened that in these questions of macedonian politics the king and the people of epirus took opposite sides the affairs of the great kingdom were often the means of bringing into the smaller one an infinite degree of trouble and confusion the period of pyrrhus's career was immediately subsequent to that of alexander the great the birth of pyrrhus having taken place about four years after the death of alexander at this time it happened that the relations which subsisted between the royal families of the two kingdoms were very intimate. This intimacy arose from an extremely important intermarriage which had taken place between the two families in the preceding generation, namely the marriage of Philip of Macedon with Olympias the daughter of a king of epirus philip and olympias were the father and mother of alexander the great of course during the whole period of the great conqueror's history the people of epirus as well as those of macedon felt a special interest in his career. They considered him as a descendant of their own royal line as well as of that of Macedon, and so very naturally appropriated to themselves some portion of the glory which he acquired. Olympias, too, who sometimes, after her marriage with Philip, resided at Epirus and sometimes at Macedon, maintained an intimate and close connection both with her own and with Philip's family, and thus, through various results of her agency, as well as through the fame of Alexander's exploits, the governments of the two countries were continually commingled. It must not, however, by any means be supposed that the relations which were established, through the influence of Olympias, between the courts of Epirus and of Macedon, were always of a friendly character they were in fact often the very reverse olympias was a woman of a very passionate and ungovernable temper and of a very determined will and as philip was himself as impetuous and as resolute as she the domestic life of this distinguished pair was a constant succession of storms at the commencement of her married life olympias was of course generally successful in accomplishing her purposes among other measures she induced philip to establish her brother upon the throne of Epirus in the place of another prince who was more directly in the line of succession. As, however, the true heir did not, on this account, relinquish his claims, two parties were formed in the country, adhering respectively to the two branches of the family that claimed the throne, and a division ensued which in the end involved the kingdom of Epirus in protracted civil wars. While therefore Olympias continued to hold an influence over her husband's mind, she exercised it in such a way as to open sources of serious calamity and trouble for her own native land. After a time, however, she lost this influence entirely. Her disputes with Philip, ended at length in a bitter and implacable quarrel philip married another woman named cleopatra partly indeed as a measure of political alliance and partly as an act of hostility and hatred against olympius whom he accused of the most disgraceful crimes olympius went home to Epirus in a rage and sought refuge in the court of her brother alexander her son was left behind at macedon at this separation between his father and mother he was then about nineteen years of age he took part with his mother in the contest it is true he remained for a time at the court of philip after his mother's departure but his mind was in a very irritable and sullen mood and at length on the occasion of a great public festival an angry conversation between alexander and philip occurred growing out of some allusions which were made to olympias by some of the guests in the course of which alexander openly denounced and defied the king and then abruptly left the court and went off to epirus to join his mother of course the attention of the people of epirus was strongly attracted to this quarrel and they took sides some with philip and some with olympius and alexander not very long after this philip was assassinated in the most mysterious and extraordinary manner Olympias was generally accused of having been the instigator of this deed There was no positive evidence of her guilt, nor, on the other hand, had there ever been in her character and conduct any such indications of the presence of even the ordinary sentiments of justice and humanity in her heart as could form a presumption of her innocence. In a word, she was a woman that it was more easy and natural, as it seemed, for mankind to believe her guilty than innocent and she has accordingly been very generally condemned though on very slender evidence as accessory to the crime of course the death of philip whether olympius was the procurer of it or not was of the greatest conceivable advantage to her in respect to its effect upon her position and upon the promotion of her ambitious schemes the way was at once opened again for her return to macedon alexander her son succeeded immediately to the throne he was very young and would submit as she supposed very readily to the influence of his mother this proved in fact in some sense to be true alexander whatever may have been his faults in other respects was a very dutiful son he treated his mother as long as he lived with the utmost consideration and respect while yet he would not in any sense subject himself to her authority and influence in his political career he formed his own plans and executed them in his own way and if there was ever at any time any dispute or disagreement between him and olympius in respect to his measures she soon learned that he was not to be controlled in these things and gave up the struggle nor was this a very extraordinary result for we often see that a refractory woman who can not by any process be made to submit to her husband is easily and completely managed by a son things went on thus tolerably smoothly while alexander lived it was only tolerably however for olympias though she always continued on friendly terms with alexander himself quarrelled incessantly with the commanders and ministers of state whom he left with her at macedon while he was absent on his asiatic campaigns these contentions caused no very serious difficulty so long as alexander himself was alive to interpose when occasion required and settle the difficulties and disputes which originated in them before they became unmanageable alexander was always adroit enough to do this in a manner that was respectful and considerate toward his mother and which yet preserved the actual administrative power of the kingdom in the hands to which he had entrusted it he thus amused his mother's mind and soothed her irritable temper by marks of consideration and regard and sustained her in a very dignified and lofty position in the royal household while yet he confided to her very little substantial power the officer whom alexander had left in chief command at macedon while absent on his asiatic expedition was antipater antipater was a very venerable man then nearly seventy years of age he had been the principal minister of state in macedonia for a long period of time having served philip in that capacity with great fidelity and success for many years before alexander's accession during the whole term of his public office he had maintained a most exalted reputation for wisdom and virtue Philip placed the most absolute and entire confidence in him, and often committed the most momentous affairs to his direction, and yet notwithstanding the illustrious position which Antipater thus occupied, and the great influence and control which he exercised in the public affairs of Macedon, he was simple and unpretending in his manners, and kind and considerate to all around him as if he were entirely devoid of all feelings of personal ambition and were actuated only by an honest and sincere devotedness to the cause of those whom he served various anecdotes were related of him in the macedonian court which showed the estimation in which he was held for example Philip one day, at a time when placed in circumstances which required special caution and vigilance on his part, made his appearance at a late hour in the morning, and he apologized for it by saying to the officers, I have slept rather late this morning, but then I knew that Antipater was awake. Alexander, too, felt the highest respect and veneration for antipater's character at one time some person expressed surprise that antipater did not clothe himself in a purple robe the badge of nobility and greatness as the other great commanders and ministers of state were accustomed to do those men said alexander wear purple on the outside but antipater is purple within the whole country in a word felt so much confidence in the wisdom the justice and the moderation of antipater that they submitted very readily to his sway during the absence of alexander Olympias, however caused him continual trouble in the exercise of his regency he governed the country as he thought his duty to the people of the realm and to alexander required without yielding at all to the demands or expectations of olympius she consequently finding that he was unmanageable did all in her power to embarrass him in his plans and to thwart and circumvent him she wrote letters continually to alexander complaining incessantly of his conduct sometimes misrepresenting occurrences which had actually taken place and sometimes making accusations wholly groundless and untrue antipater in the same manner in his letters to alexander complained of the interference of Olympias and of the trouble and embarrassment which her conduct occasioned him Alexander succeeded for a season in settling these difficulties, more or less perfectly, from time to time, as they arose, but at last he concluded to make a change in the regency. Accordingly, on an occasion when a considerable body of new recruits from Macedon was to be marched into Asia, Alexander ordered Antipater to accompany them and at the same time he sent home another general named craterus in charge of a body of troops from asia whose term of service had expired his plan was to retain antipater in his service in asia and to give to craterus the government of macedon thinking it possible perhaps that craterus might agree better with olympius than antipater had done antipater was not to leave macedon until craterus should arrive there and while craterus was on his journey alexander suddenly died this event changed the whole aspect of affairs throughout the empire and led to a series of very important events which followed each other in rapid succession, and which were the means of affecting the condition and the fortunes of Olympias in a very material manner. The state of the case was substantially thus. The story forms quite a complicated plot, which it will require close attention on the part of the reader, clearly to comprehend. The question which rose first, to the mind of every one as soon as Alexander's death became known was that of the succession There was, as it happened, no member of Alexander's own family who could be considered as clearly and unquestionably his heir. At the time of his death he had no child. He had a wife, however, whose name was Roxana, and a child was born to her a few months after Alexander's death. Roxana was the daughter of an Asiatic prince. Alexander had taken her prisoner with some other ladies at a fort on a rock where her father had placed her for safety roxana was extremely beautiful and alexander as soon as he saw her determined to make her his wife among the thousands of captives that he made in his asiatic campaign roxana it was said was the most lovely of all and as it was only about four years after her marriage that alexander died she was still in the full bloom of youth and beauty when her son was born but besides this son born thus a few months after alexander's death there was a brother of alexander or rather a half-brother whose claims to the succession seemed to be more direct for he was living at the time that alexander died the name of his brother was aridaeus he was imbecile in intellect and wholly insignificant as a political personage except so far as he was by birth the next heir to alexander in the macedonian line he was not the son of olympias but of another mother and his imbecility was caused it was said by an attempt of Olympias to poison him in his youth she was prompted to do this by her rage and jealousy against his mother for whose sake philip had abandoned her the poison had ruined the poor child's intellect though it had failed to destroy his life alexander when he succeeded to the throne adopted measures to protect Aridaeus from any future attempt which his mother might make to destroy him, and for this, as well as perhaps for other reasons, took Aridaeus with him on his Asiatic campaign. Aridaeus and Roxana were both at Babylon when Alexander died whatever might be thought of the comparative claims of aridaeus and of roxana's babe in respect to the inheritance of the macedonian crown it was plain that neither of them was capable of exercising any actual power alexander's son being incapacitated by his youthfulness and his brother by his imbecility the real power fell immediately into the hands of alexander's great generals and counsellors of state these generals on consultation with each other determined not to decide the question of succession in favor of either of the two heirs but to invest the sovereignty of the empire jointly in them both so they gave to aridaeus the name of philip and to roxana's babe that of alexander they made these two princes jointly the nominal sovereigns and then proceeded in their name to divide all the actual power among themselves in this division egypt and the african countries adjoining it were assigned to a very distinguished general of the name of ptolemy who became the founder of a long line of egyptian sovereigns known as the ptolemaic dynasty the line from which some centuries later the renowned cleopatra sprang macedon and greece with the other european provinces were allotted to antipater and craterus craterus himself being then on the way to macedon with the invalid and disbanded troops whom alexander had sent home craterus was in feeble health at this time and was returning to macedon partly on this account in fact he was not fully able to take the active command of the detachment committed to him and alexander had accordingly sent an officer with him named Polysperchon, who was to assist him in the performance of his duties on the march this polysberchon as will appear in the sequel took a very important part in the events which occurred in macedonia after he and craterus had arrived there in addition to these great and important provinces that of egypt in africa and macedon and greece in europe there were various other smaller ones in asia minor and in syria which were assigned to different generals and ministers of state who had been attached to the service of alexander and who all now claimed their several portions in the general distribution of power which took place after his death the distribution gave at first a tolerable degree of satisfaction it was made in the name of philip the king though the personage who really controlled the arrangement was Perdiccas, the general who was nearest to the person of alexander and highest in rank at the time of the great conqueror's decease in fact as soon as alexander died Perdiccas assumed the command of the army and the general direction of affairs he intended as was supposed to make himself emperor in the place of alexander at first he had strongly urged that roxana's child should be declared heir to the throne to the exclusion of aridaeus his secret motive in this was that by governing as regent during the long minority of the infant he might prepare the way for finally seizing the kingdom himself the other generals of the army however would not consent to this they were inclined to insist that aridaeus should be king the army was divided on this question for some days and the dispute ran very high it seemed in fact for a time that there was no hope that it could be accommodated there was every indication that a civil war must ensue to break out first under the very walls of babylon at length however as has already been stated the question was compromised and it was agreed that the crown of alexander should become the joint inheritance of aridaeus and of the infant child and that perticus should exercise at babylon the functions of regent of course when the division of the empire was made it was made in the name of philip for the child of roxana at the time of the division was not yet born but though made in king philip's name it was really the work of perdicus his plan it was supposed in the assignment of provinces to the various generals was to remove them from babylon and give them employment in distant fields where they would not interfere with him in the execution of his plans for making himself master of the supreme power after these arrangements had been made and the affairs of the empire had been tolerably well settled for the time being by this distribution of power and Perdiccas began to consider what ulterior measures he should adopt for the widening and extending of his power a question arose which for a season greatly perplexed him it was the question of his marriage two proposals were made to him one by olympius and one by antipater each of these personages had a daughter whom they were desirous that Perdiccas should make his wife the daughter of olympius was named cleopatra that of antipater was nicaea cleopatra was a young widow she was residing at this time in syria She had been married to a king of Epirus named Alexander, but was now residing in Sardis in Asia Minor. Some of the counsellors of Perdiccas represented to him very strongly that a marriage with her would strengthen his position more than any other alliance that he could form, as she was the sister of Alexander the Great and by his marriage with her he would secure to his side the influence of olympius and of all of alexander's family Perdicus so far acceded to these views that he sent a messenger to sardis to visit cleopatra in his name and to make her a present Olympias and cleopatra accordingly considered the arrangement a settled affair in the meantime however antipater who seems to have been more in earnest in his plans sent off his daughter nicaea herself to babylon to be offered directly to perdiccas there she arrived at babylon after the messenger of perdiccas had gone to visit cleopatra the arrival of nicaea brought up very distinctly to the mind of perticus the advantages of an alliance with antipater olympius it is true had a great name but she possessed no real power antipater on the other hand held sway over a widely extended region which comprised some of the most wealthy and populous countries on the globe he had a large army under his command too consisting of the bravest and best disciplined troops in the world and he himself though advanced in age was a very able and effective commander in a word Perdiccas was persuaded by these and similar considerations that the alliance of antipater would be more serviceable to him than that of olympias and he accordingly married nicaea olympias who had always hated antipater before was now when she found herself thus supplanted by him in her plans for allying herself with perdiccas aroused to the highest pitch of indignation and rage besides the marriage of perdiccas another matrimonial question arose about this time which led to a great deal of difficulty there was a lady of the royal family of macedon named sinan a daughter of philip of macedon and half-sister of alexander the great who had a daughter named ada sinan conceived the design of marrying her daughter to king philip who was now as well as roxana and her babe in the hands of perdiccas as their guardian sinan sent out from macedon with her daughter on the journey to asia in order to carry this arrangement into effect this was considered as a very bold undertaking on the part of sinan and her daughter for Perdiccas would of course be implacably hostile to any plan for the marriage of philip and especially so to his marrying a princess of the royal family of macedon in fact as soon as Perdiccas heard of the movement which sinan was making he was enraged at the audacity of it and sent messengers to intercept sinan and murder her on the way this transaction however as soon as it was known produced a great excitement throughout the whole of the macedonian army the army in fact felt so strong an attachment for every branch and every member of the family of alexander that they would not tolerate any violence or wrong against any one of them Perdiccas was quite terrified at the storm which he had raised he immediately countermanded the orders which he had given to the assassins and to atone for his error and allay the excitement he received ada when she arrived at babylon with great apparent kindness and finally consented to the plan of her being married to philip she was accordingly married to him and the army was appeased ada received at this time the name of eurydice and she became subsequently under that name quite renowned in history during the time in which these several transactions were taking place various intrigues and contentions were going on among the governors of the different provinces in europe and asia which as the results of them did not particularly affect the affairs of epirus we need not here particularly describe during all this period however perticus was extending and maturing his arrangements and laying his plans for securing the whole empire to himself while antipater and ptolemy in macedon and egypt were all the time holding secret communications with each other and endeavoring to devise means by which they might thwart and circumvent him the quarrel was an example of what very often occurs in such political systems as the macedonian empire presented at this time namely a combining of the extremities against the centre for some time the efforts of the hostile parties were confined to the manoeuvres and counter-manoeuvres which they devised against each other antipater was in fact restrained from open hostility against perticus from a regard to his daughter nicaea who as has been already mentioned was perticus's wife at length however under the influence of the increasing hostility which prevailed between the two families Perdiccas determined to divorce nicaea and marry cleopatra after all as soon as antipater learned this he resolved at once upon open war the campaign commenced with a double operation perdicus himself raised an army and taking philip and eurydice and also Roxana and her babe in his train, he marched into Egypt to make war against Ptolemy. At the same time Antipater and Craterus, at the head of a large Macedonian force, passed across the Hellespont into Asia Minor, on their way to attack Perdiccas in Babylon. Perdiccas sent a large detachment of troops, under the command of a distinguished general to meet and encounter Antipater and Craterus in Asia Minor while he was himself engaged in the Egyptian campaign. The result of the contest was fatal to the cause of Perticus. Antipater advanced triumphantly through Asia Minor, though in one of the battles which took place there Craterus was slain. But while Craterus himself fell his troops were victorious thus the fortunes of war in this quarter went against Perdicus. the result of his own operations in egypt was still more disastrous to him as he approached the egyptian frontier he found his soldiers very averse to fighting against ptolemy a general whom they had always regarded with extreme respect and veneration and who as was well known had governed his province in egypt with the greatest wisdom justice and moderation Perdiccas treated this disaffectation in a very haughty and domineering manner he called his soldiers rebels and threatened to punish them as such this aroused their indignation and from secret murmurings they proceeded to loud and angry complaints. Perdiccas was not their king, they said, to lord it over them in that imperious manner. He was nothing but the tutor of their kings, and they would not submit to any insolence from him. Perdiccas was soon quite alarmed to observe the degree of dissatisfaction which he had awakened, and the violence— of the form which it seemed to be assuming he changed his tone and attempted to soothe and conciliate the minds of his men he at length succeeded so far as to restore some degree of order and discipline to the army and in that condition the expedition entered egypt Perdicus crossed one of the branches of the nile and then led his army forward to attack ptolemy in a strong fortress where he had entrenched himself with his troops the forces of Perdiccas, though much more numerous than those of ptolemy fought with very little spirit while those of ptolemy exerted themselves to the utmost under the influence of the strong attachment which they felt for their commander Perticus was beaten in the engagement, and he was so much weakened by the defeat that he determined to retreat back across the river. When the army arrived at the bank of the stream the troops began to pass over, but after about half the army had crossed they found, to their surprise, that the water, which had been growing gradually deeper all the time became impassable the cause of this deepening of the stream was at first a great mystery since the surface of the water as was evident by marks along the shore remained all the time at the same level it was at length ascertained that the cause of this extraordinary phenomenon was that the sands in the bottom of the river were trampled up by the feet of the men and horses in crossing, so that the current of the water could wash them away, and such was the immense number of footsteps made by the successive bodies of troops that by the time the transportation had been half accomplished the water had become too deep to be forded. Perticus was thus, as it were, caught in a trap, half his army being on one side of the river and himself with the remainder on the other he was seriously alarmed at the dangerous situation in which he thus found himself placed and immediately resorted to a variety of expedients to remedy the unexpected difficulty all his efforts were however vain finally as it seemed imperiously necessary to effect a junction between the two divisions of his army he ordered those who had gone over to make an attempt at all hazards to return they did so but in the attempt vast numbers of men got beyond their depth and were swept down by the current and drowned multitudes of the bodies both of the dead and of the dying were seized and devoured by the crocodiles which lined the shores of the river below. There were about two thousand men thus lost in the attempt to recross the stream. In all military operations the criterion of merit, in the opinion of an army, is success, and, of course, the discontent and disaffection which prevailed in the camp of Perdiccas broke out anew in consequence of these misfortunes there was a general mutiny the officers themselves took the lead in it and one hundred of them went over in a body to ptolemy's side taking with them a considerable portion of the army while those that were left remained with Perdiccas, not to defend but to destroy him a troop of horse gathered around his tent guarding it on all sides to prevent the escape of their victim and then a certain number of the men rushed in and killed him in the midst of his terror and despair ptolemy now advanced to the camp of perticus and was received there with acclamation the whole army submitted themselves at once to his command. An arrangement was made for the return of the army to Babylon with the kings and their train. Pithon, one of the generals of Perdiccas, took the command of the army and the charge of the royal family on the return. In the meantime Antipater had passed into Asia, victorious over the forces that Perdiccas had sent against him a new congress of generals was held and a new distribution of power was made by the new arrangement antipater was to retain his command in macedon and greece and to have the custody of the kings accordingly when everything had thus been settled antipater set out on his return to macedon with philip and eurydice and also roxana and the infant alexander in his train the venerable soldier for he was now about eighty years of age was received in macedon on his return with universal honor and applause there were several considerations in fact which conspired to exalt antipater in the estimation of his countrymen on this occasion he had performed a great military exploit in conducting the expedition into asia from which he was now triumphantly returning he was bringing back to macedon too the royal family of alexander the representatives of the ancient macedonian line and by being made the custodian of these princes and regent of the empire in their name he had been raised to the most exalted position which the whole world at that period could afford the macedonians received him accordingly on his return with loud and universal acclamations. End of chapter 1